0: Uh, Hey, if you have Bibles, we're uh, in the Gospel of John today. John chapter 16, uh, verse 4 through 15. That's where we're going to be. And as I mentioned earlier, we've been uh, in a series this summer. We'll continue on for about the next month or so. uh, A series in the Apostles' Creed, uh, this ancient... Uh, creed uh, that's been used in the history of the church, both in uh, teaching new believers in the faith, as well as the, the Christians gathered in different places around the world throughout history, just affirming these core truths about what it is that Christianity is about, what it is that we believe in our faith. And so today we've come to the statement, I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the Holy Spirit. This third person of the Trinity, as one author called him, the forgotten God or at least maybe for many of us, if not forgotten, probably the, the neglected God. In a fantastic book called The Dynamics of Spiritual Life, there's an author named Richard Lovelace uh, who said this, the typical relationship between Christians and the Holy Spirit in today's church is too often like that between a husband and wife in a bad marriage. They live under the same roof, and the husband makes constant use of his wife's services, but fails to communicate with her, recognize her presence, and celebrate their relationship with her. Now, a lot of you guys have had some kind of experience, exposure to the church or to Christians. You've been perhaps around the church for for many, many years. Let me ask you a question. Isn't this always the way that we introduce talking about the Holy Spirit? Like, isn't it always required that someone stands up and the first thing they have to say is some kind of apology or qualifier for why the Holy Spirit is a neglected person of the Godhead. Now, unless you, you have come from or you are, are, are participating in a more Pentecostal or charismatic kind of environment, almost always that someone stands up to, to preach a sermon or start a Bible study or read a book about the Holy Spirit, it starts with this kind of like, this is the third person the Trinity. We don't really know what to do with him. We know he's important, but we're not exactly sure what that means. And the rest of the time then sounds a little bit like a, a parent kind of pleading with a toddler to eat their vegetables. Like, this is good for you. Uh, you won't grow without it. Please, please eat this. And the takeaway or the next step is, is always some kind of variation of live a, live a spirit filled life, live a more spirit filled life. As if it were possible to be a Christian at all apart from the Holy Spirit. A toddler will eat his vegetables when? A toddler will eat his vegetables without a fight, without reluctance, without reticence. If that's possible at all, when will that happen? It'll happen when they like the taste, or at least when they come to see that there's value in doing so, right? We do things joyfully. We do things willingly when we become deeply convinced by either enjoyment or by seeing the worth of something, and hopefully both, hopefully enjoying something and seeing the worth of it at the same time. In the text that we're looking at today, Jesus is going to say that that the presence of the Holy Spirit is better than Jesus himself being present on the earth. That the Holy Spirit's presence with us is actually better than if Jesus were flesh and blood walking around in our midst today. And so my prayer for us as as we walk into this, my prayer for us leading up to that this week, is that we would really come to a place where we believe that. That we would believe that the presence of the Holy Spirit for us today in this moment is, is better for us than the physical presence of Jesus himself. Because the, to the degree that, that we actually believe that, the, the Holy Spirit won't be this neglected or forgotten third person of the Trinity. We won't just live under the same roof making constant use of his services but failing to communicate or, or recognize or celebrate the relationship that we have with the Holy Spirit. So let's turn again our, our hearts and our minds to Jesus' words in this book that we love. The Gospel of John, chapter 16. I'll start in verse uh, 4b and, and read through 15. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. But now I am going to him who sent me, and none of you asks me, Where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me pray for us. Holy Spirit, we pray this morning that you would guide us by the words of God, by your truth, that in your light, we would see light, that in your truth, we would find freedom, and that in your will, we would discover peace. Do that work in our hearts that only you can do, Spirit of God. And we ask this and we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So in light of Jesus' words here in in John chapter 16, three things uh, that we'll consider with the the time that we have uh, left this morning. The Spirit's work in the world. The Spirit's work in Christians. And then treasuring this advantage of the Holy Spirit that Jesus talks about. Spirit's work in the world, the Spirit's work in Christians, and treasuring the advantage of the Holy Spirit. So first, let's talk about the Spirit's work in the world. Um, I had earlier, uh, early in the week, I had a a nostalgic uh, moment. Uh, One of my good friends from Kansas City is packing up with his family right now, and they're moving out to California. And Facebook, as it does from time to time, if you use Facebook or other, I think other social media tools do this too, um, puts like reminders on your newsfeed. It shows you things you've posted from years gone by. And it brought one back from like six or seven years ago. Uh, memories of our friendship. It got me thinking about just the good times that we had when we, when we both lived in the same town. But nostalgia is a, is a really funny thing. Uh, these, the, the memories of nostalgia, they, they stir this longing for these days that, that have gone by, for these times in the past. But when we're actually there in the past... Are we, are we really living in those moments? Are we really soaking up those moments, enjoying those moments? If you're like me, often in those moments, we're, we're experiencing in those moments nostalgia for a time even before that. And so we can actually live a lot of our lives kind of constantly looking backward to something that's gone before, thinking, wouldn't it be better if I could go back when fill in the blank? Or I wish, you know, I, wish I could go back. Weren't things so much better back then? And I think that's probably how a lot of us have thought about life with Jesus, the Christian life. Weren't things so much better when Jesus walked around as flesh and blood on the face of the earth? Wasn't, didn't that make faith in him and following him, didn't that make it easier? And I've thought this, and perhaps you have too. I wish I could go back and experience firsthand uh, Jesus' teaching or his miracles, him healing people who were sick, or even bringing some dead people back to, to life again, or casting out demons, all the kinds of miraculous things that Jesus did. And no doubt, that would have been amazing to be an eyewitness to Jesus' teaching and his work. But the truth is, is that the overwhelming majority of people who did see Jesus with their own eyes, rejected him. At best, people were intrigued. Intrigued. And at worst, they were suspicious enough to plot his death and to cry out for his crucifixion among the crowd that that did that. So do we really think ourselves to be among those few that would be able to, in that moment, perceive the humble power of the Son of God and belief? Because I'll be honest with you, when I look at my own life and then I read what is in the New Testament and the Gospel accounts in particular, I don't think I would have been on the right side of that. I'm like 99.9 repeating percent sure that I would have been on the wrong side of that. Because left to myself, I look a lot like the, the Jewish leaders who condemned Jesus to death than I do the healed leper who comes back and falls at the feet of Jesus in, in gratitude. If we were to ask Jesus himself whether it would be better for us to go back and be eyewitnesses, he would say no. He would say no. And, and John 16 verse 7 is really the central point of this text that makes that piece clear. Jesus says there in verse 7, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So what does the Holy Spirit do when he is sent by Jesus? When he's sent back into the world? We would have to look at a lot of different passages in the Bible to get a, a well-rounded kind of full picture of that. But Jesus mentions a specific work in these words that the Holy Spirit does in the world. And it's the work of conviction. He says that the Spirit will convict the world concerning sin, concerning righteousness, and concerning judgment. all, All these words are like really religious words, are they not? Conviction, sin, righteousness, judgment. We don't use those words outside of like a church or religious kind of context, hardly ever. And so particularly if you're someone who's, who's not a Christian, or, but if you're someone who's not a Christian but has been around Christians or been around the church a lot in your life, there's probably a lot of baggage associated with these very words. What is Jesus saying here? He's saying that it's to the world's advantage that he go away and send the Holy Spirit. He's saying that's good for the world, for that to happen. And when he says world, like the word world in John's gospel is a word that John uses to describe people and systems and kingdoms who are at present opposed to Jesus and the kingdom of God. That's what he's talking about when he says it's the world. So we have to ask ourselves, and we find ourselves probably asking, if that's you, is it really good news that the Holy Spirit does these things, brings conviction about sin and righteousness and judgment? Why is that good? Let's look at each one of those things just briefly. The Spirit convicts the world concerning sin. And Jesus says that because they do not believe in me. In other words, it's, it's good news for the world that the Holy Spirit brings conviction because the Holy Spirit is going to do this deep heart and soul level work that we can't do ourselves, that we can't manufacture ourselves. Specifically, that work is replacing unbelief with belief or replacing one set of affections, the things that we uh, focus our hearts and our minds on and consume our energy and consume our time. Our affections we, we are replaced... Uh, Our affections are on one thing, and that's replaced as as the Holy Spirit does this deep work and puts our affections gradually more and more on Christ. So let me ask you this question. How do you change at the desire level? How can you change yourself in your own life at the desire level? How do you change your tastes or your appetites for certain things? Even when you become convinced from your own experience that something is worthless— and you're convinced of how destructive some kind of pattern or sin or, or habit in your life is. And if you become convinced of that from your own experience, you know, you know that like one more night of getting drunk isn't going to do anything for you. You know that like sleeping with one more man or one more woman isn't going to do anything for you. You know stepping on one more person on your way to the top at work or getting a little bit more revenge against that person who wronged you. You've tried all those things. You know the futility. It, It maybe gives you satisfaction for a few fleeting moments, and then it doesn't do anything for you after that. Only heaps guilt and shame upon you. But even if we know that, how do we get rid of that something deep within us that still wants those things sometimes? If you're a particularly disciplined person, you can perhaps manage those desires. You can kind of keep them under control, but you can't change them. The Holy Spirit is the one who can, and the Holy Spirit is the one who does. And when Jesus says he convicts the world concerning sin, that's what he's talking about. He's slowly, gradually opening our eyes to these things, but not only opening our eyes, replacing these old desires with newer, better desires, replacing unbelief with belief. The Spirit also convicts the world concerning righteousness. That's the second thing Jesus says. And he elaborates. He says, he convicts the world concerning righteousness because I go to the Father. So to this point, Jesus has been himself the the picture of righteousness for his disciples and for the rest of the world. Like, how do we know what God's righteousness looks like in day-to-day living? Well, for these few short years in first century Palestine, the answer is you watch Jesus. That's what righteousness looks like. That's what the kingdom of God looks like. But as he's preparing to go to the Father, he's preparing his disciples for that. He says, we need something else to teach us what righteousness looks like. And that's what the Holy Spirit, that's what the helper does. God reveals himself to to all mankind, sometimes referred to as the general revelation of God. He does that through his creation. Uh, He does that through something called providence, his ongoing care for what he has made. But he also does that through conscience. Because all men and women bear the image of God, no matter how corrupted or or marred that image of God ever becomes in an individual, there's an imprint of righteousness in your conscience. It's just part of who you are because you were made by God. And the Spirit of God at work in the world reminds and reveals in each of us what righteousness looks like. So he convicts the world concerning sin, concerning righteousness. And then third, the Spirit convicts the world concerning judgment. And Jesus says that because the ruler of this world is judged. So right, this is good news for Christians, even if it doesn't, for, for the world, I'm sorry, this is good news for the world, even if it doesn't sound like it, because long before we become Christians, the Spirit can open our eyes to the hopelessness of remaining in opposition to Jesus. We talked a lot about this last week when we looked at Jesus as the judge. But what we see there is that Jesus will crush his opposition. He's a merciful Savior who invites all to come and follow him and be rescued by him. But in the end, he crushes his opposition. And what it's saying here, he's he's brought his judgment already against the ruler of this world. He's brought his judgment against Satan. And on the last day, he's going to bring judgment, like we looked at last week, uh, to the living and the dead. So even when, even if our desires haven't changed. Even if you couldn't care less what righteousness looks like, even if you've bid farewell to your conscience years ago, the Holy Spirit can serve kind of a similar role to, if you're familiar with A Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens, the Holy Spirit can kind of serve a similar role to the ghost of Christmas future. In that story, uh, the ghost of Christmas future shows Scrooge what the trajectory of his life looks like, and it's tragic, People are bickering over his few remaining possessions. He was so miserly in this life, he has no friends, no relationships. It's this tragic end. Well, the Holy Spirit pointing to the example of Satan's judgment can open our eyes to the tragedy of our future apart from Christ if we remain in opposition to him. So this is what Jesus is saying when he says that it's good that the Holy Spirit will come and bring conviction. But let me give you another lens through which to look at the same thing. Why is it good that Jesus go away and that the Holy Spirit come? One micro example of that for me, and I think many of you could say the same thing, is because I'm a Christian. Why is it good news? Because I'm a Christian. I am a Christian because of the Holy Spirit. Right? Because Jesus went away, first to death, then raised from the dead, then to the right hand of the Father in heaven, and then sending the Spirit to convict the world, and that's me left to myself. Who is the world? Who are those people that are in opposition to Jesus? That's me, left to myself. But through the conviction of the Spirit, the work that the Spirit has done in me, I no longer have to be that self-righteous Pharisee who condemns Jesus and condemns the the work of the kingdom of God in the world. My heart is changed by the Spirit of God to become more like that healed leper who who falls at the feet of Jesus in, in gratitude. And the same thing is true for many of you. For, for any who are Christians, we believe because the Spirit of God is in the world. The overwhelming evidence of our lives points to the fact that if you and I were around when Jesus was walking around in flesh and blood on the earth, we would have rejected him. But when Jesus leaves and the Spirit comes, that's when huge numbers of people start to come to faith in Christ and start to follow him. That's when the gospel starts to explode and expand to the ends of the earth. And if you fast forward that now nearly 2,000 years, that is the continuing massive global work of the Spirit of God that you and I are caught up into. Why am I a Christian? Why are you a Christian? It's because of the Holy Spirit. So you can add our names, you can add my name, for for whom that's true, you can add your name to the list of evidences of why it's to the world's advantage that Jesus go away and the Spirit come. If that's the Spirit's work in the world, let's just briefly talk about the Spirit's work in Christians and then the advantage of the Holy Spirit. Let's talk about the Spirit's work in Christians a little bit. Verse 12 in the first half of verse 13. Jesus says, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. Many of you are perhaps familiar with the idea that the Holy Spirit is a guide. He provides guidance and direction in the Christian life and that that whether or not we are actively pursuing that guidance, that we are dependent on it all the time. But John 16 actually helps take that out of maybe a more generic or ambiguous idea and give it some clarity. Specifically, the Holy Spirit guides us and sustains us to bear the words of Christ. That's what Jesus says there. He guides us and sustains us to bear the words of Christ. I don't know if you've ever thought about this. Jesus leaves a ton of stuff undone in his three years of life and ministry. There's a lot that Jesus could have done and chose not to do. There were a lot more people he could have healed. He could have stuck around for a number of years and taught a lot more people personally. He could have built his followership up to more than like the, the three or the 12, then 11, then 12 again, or like the 70. He didn't do that. And, he, and there, were, there was a lot that he left not only undone, but unsaid. And that's what he's referring to when he speaks to his disciples here. I have many things to say to you, but what? But you cannot bear them now. And I want us to think about that a little bit this morning. The restraint of Jesus here is a merciful gift to his people. You know how when you and I hold our tongue, it's almost always because what we're about to say is mean uh, or lacks compassion or is unwise. Those are not Jesus's problems. Those are not his problems. His restraint here, he's restraining himself as a kindness, as an accommodation to us, to his followers. Because for the disciples then, just as for us now, if Jesus were to in one moment or even over a short period of time drop every single aspect of his truth, every single word of his truth on us, it would crush us. How much, how much sin would that expose in us all at once? On top of the destructive and rebellious tendencies I'm aware of in my own life, you might be aware of in your own life, the roots of that go so much deeper and the evidences of that will be so many more over the course of the rest of our lives. We can't possibly see it all now. There's things that we're blind to. Jesus isn't willing to leave us in that. But that's where the gift of the Holy Spirit really becomes Advantage. The Spirit will guide us incrementally into the truth of Christ so that our lives might increasingly conform to his truth, to his words. And what's more, the Spirit is the one who sustains us as he guides us. See, the Spirit of God is both the guide and the guarantee. The Spirit of God is both the guide and the guarantee. The guarantee. The Apostle Paul speaks of the Holy Spirit in a couple different instances as a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. In other words, when we put our faith in Christ, we receive the presence of the Holy Spirit, and that is assurance to us that we really have been united with Christ. We are being saved by him. We will be saved by him. The Holy Spirit keeps us as that deposit, as that guarantee. And so as he guides us into the truth of Christ, which for all of us who have experienced that, which I think is all of you, It's a painful pruning process to increasingly understand the truth of Christ and then try to live your life in light of that. As he guides us into that, the Spirit also sustains us, keeps us. He is our guide and our guarantee. And just a few minutes ago, you heard these six men and women up here affirm these words. In humble reliance upon the grace of the Holy Spirit, I will seek to live as a follower of Christ with all of my heart, mind, soul, and strength. The only reason that that is even remotely possible to commit your life to to say wholeheartedly soul mind spirit strength uh, I will give my entire being to following Christ the only reason that's possible is because of the sustaining grace of the holy spirit he'll guide us into that and he'll keep us as he does lastly treasuring the advantage of the holy spirit how do we treasure this advantage of the holy spirit This text, as I said earlier, doesn't say everything there is to say about the Holy Spirit. It doesn't speak at all about the specific kinds of gifts that the Holy Spirit uh, gives to Christians to use for the good of of the body of Christ and the good of the world. Uh, This fall, we're going to study the book of 1 Corinthians together. And Paul devotes a good amount of time in 1 Corinthians to those kind of gifts that the Spirit gives. So hopefully we'll get some good time to do that together uh, this fall. But where I want us to land today is to walk away with a deeper sense of why we love and why we believe in and why we treasure the Holy Spirit. And the, the, the biggest reason is, is what it says there in verse 14. The Spirit is the one who glorifies Jesus. The Spirit points us to Jesus. The Spirit is our access to Jesus, who himself is our access to God the Father. And what belongs to the Father belongs to Jesus, and then through the Holy Spirit, what belongs to Jesus is declared and revealed and given to us. That's why we love and treasure the Spirit being one of the three persons of the Godhead. But again, why is it such an advantage? Why couldn't we just kind of value the Spirit and still have Jesus in in flesh and blood here on the earth? I'm going to ask you this morning, and, and as you get to go from here this morning, and even as we get to go to a baptism celebration, reflect on this and connect your life, connect your story to the work of the Holy Spirit. You didn't just hear about Jesus from your parents if you were blessed enough to grow up in a Christian home. You didn't just hear about Jesus from church if you went to, a, to church for, for some period of time or, or from a friend or from a camp or from some kind of experience like that. You are a Christian because the Holy Spirit brought conviction. You are a Holy Spirit. You, you are Sorry, you're not a Holy Spirit. You are a Christian You enter the kingdom of God because the Holy Spirit has done that deep work uh, in your heart that you could not possibly do on your own. And I mentioned this a little bit earlier, but covenant entrance days for me are some of my favorite days that we ever do as a church. And it's because of this very thing. Whether someone was a rule follower who in their rule following gave God the stiff arm and said, I can take care of this on my own, God. Just give me, what's, give me heaven and I'll earn that by my good works. Or whether there's someone that stiff-armed God by saying, I want nothing to do with you. I want to do my own thing and rebelled against him just overtly. The spirit of God is the one that brings conviction. The spirit of, the one, of, God, of God is the one that, that breaks up the hardness in our hearts that actually rips out the hard hearts of stone that we once had and puts in soft hearts of flesh in place. And we've heard how that's been true for six men and women today. That is true for anyone who has already come into covenant here at Liberty. That will be true for anyone who does come into covenant. Even more than that, even more than that, that the Holy Spirit is in the world today, that he's done that work in some of us. That means there are other people living on your street right now or working in your office right now or in your school right now or on your sports team or some other kind of team right now or in your family right now that you and I will one day get to call brother or sister in Christ. And it's because the Holy Spirit is at work in the world. And he's at work in the world in a way that the incarnated flesh and blood Jesus did not work in the world. Not only will the Holy Spirit continue to bring many into God's kingdom, but all who enter and all we who have entered will be sustained through every moment of our lives by this reliance upon the ongoing grace of the Holy Spirit. He will be the one that guides us into truth. He will be the one that guarantees our inheritance as he does. So together, let's continue to cultivate this and be a church, be a community of people that celebrate the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. Not just on a couple Sundays a year when it's the topic for us to consider. I I long for a day that that I get up to talk about the Holy Spirit, and I don't feel inclined to qualify it by saying this is the one we neglect. I would love for that day to come and to be true of us as a community. So may we long to experience even more of the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, the work of the Holy Spirit in our world, and really treasure the advantage that is ours in him. Amen. Let me pray for us. Holy Spirit, you have done unbelievably powerful work in this world and in my life and in the lives of many. And as we got to see and even hear some specifics about six people today in whom you've done that work, may it it remind us of your grace and kindness to us. May it remind us of the advantage it is, Spirit, that you are with us, present with us in this world. And may it also whet our appetites and, and give us a deeper longing to see you do even more powerful work in the world in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces. That, you're, that you being present in this world, that you being at work in this world means that many more will come. Many more will come to be convicted of sin and righteousness and judgment and their affections will be changed by you. Their desires will be changed. Their hearts will be changed. May we look for evidences of, of how you are at work. May we come alongside and run right into that work alongside with you. And we pray that as we come to this table this morning, Spirit of God, we would not only look backward and and remember what Jesus has done, but we would know that by your presence among us, your presence in us, Spirit of God, we get to experience in a special way that we are united with Christ when we come to this table. United with one another in community, but more than anything, united with you. Thank you for your kindness to us, your power at work on our behalf, Holy Spirit. And we pray that.